my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, John Sweeney on his new film for Byline TV, The Eastern Front, Terror and Torture in Ukraine. It's an immensely powerful documentary detailing Russia's war crimes following its invasion of its neighbour. We see evidence of the illegal use of chemical weapons targeted attacks on civilians and hear about the use of torture, as well as reminders that Putin's propaganda is amplified by his supporters in the West. John has also got a new book out in July to follow up his bestseller, Killer in the Kremlin. The new one is called Putin's Prisoner. He's written it with Aidan Aslin, a Brit who was tortured by the Russians. Before we hear from John, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. Get details of a subscription over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. John Sweeney, welcome to the Byline Times podcast. You end the film, John, with a quotation from President Eisenhower made in 1945. He said, get it all on the record now, get the films, because somewhere down the road of history, some bastard will get up and say this never happened. And I guess that's why it's so important for people like you to bear witness while these crimes are still fresh, John. Yes, well, the war is still continuing. Um, pretty much every night, the Russians fire uh, their rockets, correction, their elderly ironmongery at Kiev, where I am now, and pretty much Ukrainian air defence knocks everything out of the sky. But So the war is continuing, and down, I've got a friend, uh, Vlad Demchenko, uh, he's in special forces now. I don't know if people know the story, but on day two of the war, he arrested me because he thought I might be a Russian spy. And I kind of yelled at him, do I look like a Russian spy? And he got really uh, angry with me. And I, and I was locked up for a bit. Uh, but um, but we sorted that out. And then he, he realized that I've actually met and challenged Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. And he looked at me, uh, he arrested me and called up the SBU, Ukrainian intelligence, and I'd been booked into their system. So I had to go to the SBU, the Ukrainian intelligence headquarters on day two of the war. It wasn't a healthy place. But then he Googled me. Then finally he Googled me. And when he Googled me, he went, I think you have an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in, you were on the right side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the uh, Adrian, I am on the side of the party that cracks the most, the best jokes. Um, <laughs> and of course, in 1939, 1945, that would be Britain. And of course, now it's Ukraine. And because there is real spirit and real beauty and the truth to Ukraine's resistance to Russian invasion, and the truth is Ukraine was at peace and a democracy, and it wasn't harming anyone. And then suddenly Russian invasion first in 2014, and the West did far too little uh, about that. And then again, the big one last year, last February. Anyway, what we've done in this film, The Eastern Front, and it's available you can watch it for three quid. We tell three stories. The first story is Russian terror attacks against civilians. So, for example, last January, six months ago, they put in a big rocket into a block of flats in Dnipro. Now, this would be a block of flats that anybody 
you'd recognize from London or Birmingham or Manchester or what or Liverpool or whatever. So it's a big kind of working class block of flats, what's 10 stories high. You put a rocket in the middle of that and you at night they kill 50 people, six kids. And we interview two mums uh, who are playing in the local uh, roundabout. The, the place is still smashed up. And one of the mums had a video. She was filming her kids and they're having some little party when the rocket comes in. Now, actually, they're okay, but you can see the damage. And they knew some of the, the um, her kids' friends were killed. And this is a completely indiscriminate attack by a massive kind of cruise missile, as long as a big minivan. And there is no good military reason for doing this. And they've done it again and again and again. So it's not some one-off mistake. It's a thing. And throughout the film, there is a constant, you know, there's artillery going on. Now, part of the, the strange comedy of the film is that the director, Caelan Robertson, has never been to a war zone before. Now, he went on the course, the combat medicine course, but essentially every time outgoing artillery, i.e. Ukrainian artillery firing at the Russians goes off, he jumps a mile and says, is it safe? And actually, I'm there with my old friend Paul Conroy, who's a great uh, Sunday Times photographer. And we never move. Have you watched it, Adrian? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it from start to finish, yeah. And so this is, it is quite, it's genuinely quite funny because... I go outgoing and I don't move. And Caitlin's jumping around, the camera's jumping around. I say that's outgoing. The difference between outgoing and incoming is outgoing, it's a single noise and it's okay. Incoming, it's a longer noise because essentially you hear the blast of the shell being fired and then you hear it land. And when it lands, you can feel it through your boots and it's quite different. Mm. And Paul goes, correct. Absolutely correct. And then there's another bang, and Caelan jumps again. But anyway, I think the, the affecting thing of the film is that you're seeing a war through, and you know, Caelan's in his 20s, you're seeing a war through someone who's never been to a war zone before, with myself and Paul, Paul's driving the car for most of the time. And Zarina Zabriskie, of course, who's a, a big yeah, yeah, friend yeah, yeah. of this podcast and a great reporter for Byline as well. And she's translating, and she's translating, and she's very good. But the three of us, know about war and Kenan doesn't so there's a, there's a strange so the eye of the film is young and frightened and the effect is very immersive the effect is you're there in the moment mm. anyway we document the um the russian rocket attacks and the artillery attacks on civilians then we go into something called um white phosphorus or lustrum or thermite and essentially this is it's not a classic chemical weapon, but it's a chemical. But it's classic chemical weapons are things that, that affect your nervous system, like sarin or mustard gas or whatever, and all your lungs. And this stuff is incredibly hot. It's an incendiary. And it burns at something like 3,500 degrees. Now, the law about this is problematic because the Soviet Union banned the use of incendiary weapons, but Russia, then the Soviet Union became Russia, and Russia has not signed up to the new accords on this. So therefore, there isn't an absolute ban on this. But within the Geneva Conventions, it's wrong to use military weapons against civilian targets. So what we set out to, to show was, because there was lots and lots of evidence of, of this happening, and we, we, we got videos of this stuff, and it, it falls, it's silent, and it falls burning at 
three and a half thousand degrees centigrade. And we found uh, some houses in Herson, which had been burnt to the ground by this stuff. So we have the video of it coming down. We have the houses burning. And then we found the cartridges of white phosphorus, let's call it that. And we talked to a, an expert on this stuff. So basically, we believe that we've nailed that down. And this is a war crime because it's a use of an incendiary weapon against civilian targets, not military. The third thing is port shell. We interview a torture victim on the street in Herson while Herson's under artillery fire. Now, most of the time, the artillery fire is a little further away from where we are, but you can hear the bangs. And Caden jumps. And then we go to a place which was some kind of a police lockup. We come across, and Zarina is, is brilliant at this, but we find a Ukrainian guy who's no big shot, but he um, was tortured and is there in the police station and this police lockup. Going back to him is horrible. At the same time, he wants the world to know what happened. And the testimony is compelling. And I defy anyone who supports Russia or who is talks about peace, i.e. peace which gives Russia some kind of deal so that Russia can stay in Ukraine. The consequence is, because Russian use of torture is systematic, it means that if Ukrainians or an inch of Ukraine is left under Russian hands, then people will be tortured there. If you think about a peace deal with Russia, then part of that peace deal is continuing torture of Ukrainians. And that, I think, is a thing of evil. Those are the three big things we do in the movie, and it's 80 minutes long. But within it, there are a series of jokes. We get stuck in the mud, and rather than kind of hide all this shit, we show all the things that go wrong, and everything goes wrong all the time. So it's powerful, and also it's funny, and also it's honest about what it's like to be at the front line. I've got to give all kudos, though, to Kalen. As you say, it's his first time in a war zone. He's still a braver man than I am. And it's very clear there are jokes, there is humour, there is the pretty scary stuff that you've detailed already, John. But there is threat, there is jeopardy, there is risk to the lives of all four of you, and that is clearly demonstrated in the film as well. Yes, but the question is, you know, so what the fuck are you doing when you're doing this? <laughs> um, and all the other three as well. And really it's driven by a kind of cold anger at the Kremlin and also people like, in the States, Donald Trump, you know, potentially, again, the next president of the United States, Tucker Carlson. Now, he's just been fired by uh, Fox, but never mind. He was, until that moment, the most popular TV host cable TV host in the States. Is it Tucker Carlson? Tucker Carlson. No one else had his numbers. And so these are powerful people who churn out the, the Kremlin's rubbish. So the reason we uh, took the risks, the life and limb, is simple. There is the Russian fighting machine, and then there is the Russian lying machine. And actually, the Russian lying machine is considerably more successful than the Russian fighting machine in terms of fooling the West useful idiots. So we took the risk because we wanted to tell the story as powerfully as we could to as big an audience as possible. This is Kaylin's idea, but I think it's quite sweet and smart, is we're having a premiere in London 
in the place where they have all the James Bond movie premieres, the, the Prince Charles cinema. And it, it's really quite a thing, having it on June the 14th. And uh, I think you can still buy tickets. Uh, they're going fast. But it's kind of what we're saying is, you know, Vladimir Putin doesn't want you to know this stuff. I just think of little moments as well, like the block of flats that was bombed. And as the father of a young child myself, seeing the little girl blowing out the candles on her birthday cake just days before her home was bombed. An older woman later on in the film, John, talking about a beautiful cluster of trees close to where she lived. And it is those little personal details as well that affect you as much as the the grim terror that is outlined in the film. Yeah, so with the little girl, she had a yellow kitchen. Ukrainians are very house-proud, and the kitchen is really beautiful. The reason we know about the colour of the kitchen is because the bomb sliced through half of it. And so you can see, vividly, you can see this, and the yellow of the kitchen matches exactly the yellow in the birthday party video. And so, you know, there's no doubt this happened. And the thing is, the little girl's father, who's in the back of the picture as she's blowing out the candles, he died in that that blast. He died. And the old lady, she's talking about these trees. So she lives in a kind of, again, it's a working class block of flats, nothing posh or anything like it. But there's a whole series of trees in the courtyard which give them shade in the summer. And because um, the electricity's gone where they are in Tibesk, they've uh, been chopping down the trees for firewood through the winter. And she's a beautiful old lady with a a lovely way of, of talking. And she says, I feel so sorry for the, the people, you know, the, the children who take my place, etc., because they won't have these beautiful trees. And then you see what she's doing is she's planting little seedlings in the earth so that when she's gone, and she's killed the trees, which she loved, because they need firewood and uh, they can't go far under shell fire because if they go too far into the forest or whatever, they may die. So she's planting little seedlings for the future. And it's an extraordinary moment. It is beautiful, John. You've touched on the importance of not yielding to Putin, the fact that if any part of Ukraine remains under Russian control in any subsequent peace deal, then the people of Ukraine are liable to be tortured if they speak out against Putin. Is there any way out of this conflict other than continuing to fight this what appears to be now a long-running, attritional war. So at some point, the, the Ukrainians are going to fire back and there's going to be a counteroffensive. And the issue is, if you do a counteroffensive, you don't want it to go off at half cock. So the Ukrainian generals are very smart, they're very on it, and uh, the big guy is uh, Zelushny. And so he wants to have all of his ducks in a row before he moves. The issue is a lot of the Western kit has arrived. However, the Ukrainians have a problem in that there are British tanks. There's a real problem, Adrian, with the British tanks because they drive on the wrong side of the road. Really? That's eh? No, that's that's one of your jokes. <laughs> got you, got you, you, got did, you, got you. you did. By the way, you did. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the uh, the military complications that might ensue. You're just taking the page on. <laughs> so, uh, two Ukrainian soldiers. Who's got the, who's the best kit? The Americans, the Germans, the French, the Italians. 
No, 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 says the other uh, Ukrainian guy. The British are selling the best stuff. Why? What are you talking about? The, the steering wheel is on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, yeah. The steering wheel is on the wrong side, which means the Russian snipers shoot the passenger. What's not to like? <laughs> By the way, you've got a flavour of the um, of the dark sense of the, of the Ukrainian humour. It's completely beautiful and very, very funny. So at some point they will go and attack. Now, there are three things that matter in war. The first is morale, spirit. The second is logistics. The third is leaders. The Russians have got poor morale because the war is Putin's war. There's no good reason for Russia to be fighting this war. The idea that Ukraine is Russian is nonsense. The idea that Ukraine is Nazi is nonsense. It's a dark fairy story spun by the Kremlin. The Ukrainians are fighting for their homes. Full stop. It's why in 1940... Britain was united, you know, well then, alone, we are going to fight because we were fighting for our homes. The same with the Ukrainians. Number two, logistics. Now, the Ukrainian logistics were bad and the Russians were good. What's happened is the Russians have burnt through an awful lot of their kit and their kit isn't very good. And the Ukrainians have burned through a lot of their Soviet kit, but it's now being replaced by all of these different tanks, and the third element is leadership. The Russian leadership, you've got Putin, who is a fascist now. He sees the world through heavy blinkered glasses made in the 1970s in the time of Brezhnev when he was a KGB spy, a KGB secret policeman better. He doesn't understand the modern world. And at the same time, Zelensky is... You know, brilliant. It's like having Rowan Atkinson, who plays Blackadder, becoming the president of Britain or the prime minister of Britain. But actually, it turns out he's rather good. Anyone's better than Boris Johnson, after all. Anyway, the issue for the Ukrainians is they don't want to go at half cock, and some of the good Western kit hasn't arrived yet. So the American Abrams tanks haven't arrived yet. There aren't enough shells, tank shells, for the Leopard tanks. And the F-16s, critically, these wonderful American fighter jets haven't turned up. So I was talking to a Ukrainian friend last night, and he thought, hmm, I think they're going to do it next year. We shall see. However, there's been a lot of of uh, what they call shaping operations, where the Ukrainians have been essentially mucking around in various places. In the east, they've allowed a small group of, uh, of Russians who don't like Putin and support Ukraine to do a little invasion of Russia, and the Russians were caught hopping. I think they've sorted it out now, but nevertheless, it's a boxing match where you faint, where you where you you know you do left and right little jabs to see where the weaknesses are, and then you hit them. That's going to happen, and when that happens, I think the Ukrainians are going to go through the Russian army like a knife through butter. But we wait until the moment is ripe, and um, that's not my decision. John, you've also written a follow-up to your bestseller, Killer in the Kremlin. This is slightly different, though. You've kind of ghost-written this book, Putin's Prisoner, with Aidan Aslin. Just tell us a little bit about his story. This book's out in July, I think. Yeah, July 20th. Yes, Aidan. So Aidan is a really cool bloke. He's from Newark and Nottinghamshire. He's a big lad. His mum is a carer for um, autistic adults, and he does that a bit, so he's, he's got a good soul. He sees what's happening in Syria. Um, he sees the plights of the Yazidis who are being murdered by Islamic State 
and he goes out to Syria to fight with the Kurds against Islamic State. And um, thanks to a cock-up by the Kurds, or one particular Kurdish guy who's coordinating with the Americans, who are, what happens is that the Kurds, Aden and his other Western friends fighting with the Kurds, they tell the Americans where ISIS are, and then the Americans bomb ISIS. This guy got it wrong, and he gave the Kurdish position to the Americans. And so Aiden got bombed by the Americans. Pretty grim. Fifteen of his friends were killed. He survived. Gets back to London, and he's arrested by um, counterterrorism police because they fear he might try and kill Islamic State people in Britain. Now, he doesn't want to do that, but it's kind of like he's arrested on the plane, having essentially being a hero. What is wrong with fighting Islamic State? They take his passport away, and as an adult, he can't open a bank account because he hasn't got a passport. So he's really quite frustrated with Britain. And then he sees what's happening in Ukraine, and he goes to Ukraine, meets a a lovely Ukrainian woman, Diana. They're engaged, and uh, he joins the Ukrainian Marines. And he serves for four years, or three years and a bit, And then on February 24th, start the big war, he's in Mariupol with the Ukrainian Marines. Mariupol is right next door to the Russian, because they invaded in 2014, they've got a a bite out of the Ukrainian apple down in the southeast of the country. And they go for Mariupol. And Aden's battalion, the Ukrainian Marines, there are two steelworks in Mariupol. His battalion is in the, um, the Illich steelworks, they are surrounded. Aiden is captured. Then the Russians hand him over. They know exactly who he is. They take pictures of his passport and that stuff, and then they hand him over to their proxies in what's called the Donetsk People's Republic. This is a banana state recognized by Syria and North Korea. They're essentially Ukrainian quislings, Ukrainian traitors who are fighting with the Russians under Russian control. And the moment they see Aiden's British passport, he's punched on the nose. Then he's taken to a filtration camp where he's beaten up. And then he's taken to a, a kind of holding tank. The conditions are completely grim in Donetsk, where the guy essentially hits him so hard with a police truncheon that he gives him a bloody big scar uh, directly down his forehead. Later, Diana says, she says, it's like Harry Potter, the boy who lived. He gets a very big scar. He's knocked around so badly, he loses consciousness. And then when he wakes up, the guy says, uh, the guy who's torturing him, um, by the way, I've stabbed you. And he stabbed him in the back. Um, It's not a, but it's a real, you know, I've seen the wound. There's no question whatsoever that Aiden was tortured. Eventually, Abramovich and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman trade Aiden and his friend Sean Pinner and about 200 other Ukrainian soldiers with 50 Russian soldiers and a big fish, a guy called Medvedchuk, who is a Ukrainian traitor, and Vladimir Putin is godfather to one of his daughters. So Aiden gets out, and basically he went ahead and wrote the book. He's dyslexic, and I'm a professional writer, so I've come in after him and I've helped him tell his story and it'll be out uh, July uh, 20th. But it's a harrowing account. Absolutely brilliant, John. That sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Really, really powerful stuff. Can't wait to read that. One joke. His mum, 
And this is before I'd written the bloody book. His mum says, who's playing me in the movie, John? Who's playing me in the movie? And Aidan's mum, Ange, is a lovely lady, but she's a, a lady, how can I put this? She is uh, voluptuous. And, but I'm being uh, diplomatic. And I go, who's playing you? Kira Knightley. And she goes, fuck off, it's Dawn French. <laughs> Brilliant, John. Uh, Putin's prisoner out in July. Don't forget the Prince of Wales Theatre in London on June the 14th. We've got the premiere of John's documentary, Eastern Front, Terror and Torture in Ukraine. And don't forget as well to take out a subscription to the Byline Times. Brilliant reading with people like John and Zarina Zabriskie. If you take out a subscription, you're also helping to keep this podcast on the air as well. Thanks, John. See you soon. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This is bringing a We Bring audio production for the Byline Times. See you soon now. Cheers. <laughs>